Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Father, we thank you just as we can come now, sit under your word. We pray right now as we look at the eternal word of God, the revelation given to mankind that you would come and change our hearts, our minds, and our very lives. We welcome you here now, Holy Spirit. Would you come and open our ears? Would you open our hearts to see? Come have your way, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name. Can you turn your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 10? We're going to be looking at that there. Um, I've been looking at the book of Acts for a while. I love the book of Acts. Uh, it makes church real. Uh, when you read through it, uh, it must be some incredibly epic movie when we're going to see it one day, the fullness of the book of Acts. I can imagine watching those DVDs up in heaven or the Blu-rays and uh, how just all the stuff that happens. And it's the one thing after the other. And you, and you read through it and you look at the book of Acts and you need to ask questions when you read through the book of Acts to say, if this was the church that Jesus planted... And this is what it looked like. What do we look like? And what are the changes that, that, that God is calling us to make in our lives and the way we need church for us to reflect even remotely what the church of the book of Acts looked like? And so I, I, I see this dichotomy or this separation between the modern church and the church in the book of Acts. But can I say that I, there's a sense in our heart that God is restoring so much of this? And there's this increasing movement of the church, the sleeping giant of the church waking up. And the church moving into something of what we see in the book of Acts. And so I'm going to read from Acts chapter 10, verse 23. And uh, just a background to the story. There's this man called Cornelius, who is a, a Roman centurion. He is uh, he's the, 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 the authority in that region. Uh, he's in a city called Caesarea. And Caesarea was the seat of the Roman power. They're the ones that come and control that whole region of Judea. And so he's in the capital, if you want of the Roman authority, the colonial powers. And, uh, and he, he is an amazing man. And, and one day he, is, uh, he has this encounter at three in the afternoon. Amazing, he's an unbeliever. He believes in a God, but he doesn't understand Jesus. He doesn't understand God like we know. And there's many of those around the world. And yet in that time, God, something happens that God sovereignly moves down and appears to him and of course, he sends an angel to appear to him. Cornelius is an unsaved man. He's got no religious background, really. He, he had the Romans worshipped all the Roman gods, as we know so many of them, and we've heard. And yet, he sees this man. He doesn't even know it's an angel. He says it's a man in shining clothes that appears to him. And he sends some of his most trusted servants to go across. And this man in the shining clothes uh, goes and, he, and tells him, go and call for this man called Peter. And Peter is in another city called Joppa, and he's staying in a tanner's house, wonderful, and he goes all the way across to the tanner to go and call Peter. And, and of course this is a big thing, because there's a Gentile and a Jew, and the Jews and the Gentiles did not mix. And so this is the background of the story. Peter, on the other hand, is in Joppa, and uh, Peter is praying. It's uh, 12 in the afternoon. I don't know if you've ever done that. Peter goes from praying to some holy snooze, and so he's busy praying, and the next thing he's in the holy snooze on the, on the roof of the house. And normally what happens, it's happened to me once or twice. I don't know if you've ever had that. You pray, oh, and then suddenly you're in a holy snooze. 
And then he goes from holy sneeze to start dreaming about food. And that happens to me too. I go from sneezing to food. And so he starts seeing all these food and all, this, all these animals being let down from heaven on this massive big tablecloth. God starts to challenge the very fiber of who Peter is. Challenges his cultural background. Peter is a Jew. He's still got lots of his Jewishness in him. And so many of us here, we'd come with cultural stories and cultural backgrounds, and we might be an Afrikaner like myself, or we know, you know, even though I was an Afrikaner, I'd come from Natal, they'd call me Soti when I came to the Cape, but I was an Afrikaner, and uh, so you could be an Afrikaner, or you could be something from a total different background. I met a Greek yesterday, I met a man from Ghana yesterday in the church, so there's all these, I met a Jewish lady yesterday who's found Jesus, and so Peter has got the Jewishness of who he is behind him, and now he's encountered by God who brings this vision. And there's hooved animals, and there's all sorts of foods that he should not touch. And God is challenging him his culture. Can I say that God is always challenging our culture? And our culture should never stop us from moving on in terms of what we are with God. In Doha, we have, whatever, 50, 60 different cultures and nationalities. Uh, I say we have... Um, we have lots of Africans, so we have African time. We have lots of Indians, so we have Indian time. We have lots of Arabs, so we have Arab time, which means we have no time. And everybody's never on time because we have all these different aspects of society. But, but uh, when we go and build to all those cultures, we, we will never get to a place of kingdom culture. And so our culture cannot stop us from moving on with the things of God. Jesus is not an Afrikaner. Jesus is not an Englishman. I know the English say when we get to heaven, we'll hear the heavenly language. I wonder what the language of heaven would be. But I can probably tell us that it will challenge our culture. And our culture can never be a stop in the move forward of God. And Peter is in this place, and God reveals, and he first rejects, my God, how can I ever eat these things? He says, Peter, don't you call unclean what I have made clean. Don't you, don't you point a finger at this because you come from a different paradigm. I have caused this to be clean. And so here we pick up the story from Acts, 20, Acts, 10, uh, Acts 10, chapter 20, verse 23. It's the longest single story in the book of Acts. The whole chapter is dedicated to it. And then it's repeated again. He tell, talks about it again in Acts 11. Uh, it's such an important story. I think God wants us to listen to something, what he says. So verse 23. Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said, I'm only a man myself. While, Peter, while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour. Three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the house, in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. And so I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. 
Now we're all here in the presence of God and listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Isn't that wonderful? But accepts from every tribe, nation, and who fears him does what is right. Isn't that wonderful? Imagine God did have favorites. I mean, let's be honest. Who, who, who would choose you and I? But the king says, I don't have favorites. These are my children. And so we're all included in this story. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews. And in Jerusalem. And they killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Isn't that wonderful? I think it's every preacher's dream. Just, Just as you preach, the presence of God starts to come. The faith that some of that will start to happen today. And uh, yeah, as a preacher, you never want someone to say, oh, that was an interesting message. Well, that was nice. Uh, I want to say, the, the cry of our hearts is, what do we do with this message? How do we respond? And Peter preaches this, and the Spirit of God falls upon the church. Circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished at the gift of the Holy Spirit being poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked Peter to stay with him for a few days. Just up to there. Amazing story. And I think there's a lot here that we can look at, that we can take for ourselves in terms of what we do And how do we do church? And what is it that attracts this presence and power of God that falls on a meeting in such a way that whilst Peter is speaking, the power of God comes to change culture, to change religious background, to change everything about them that they are encountered by God, these Roman unbelievers. That's what it is. And so we look at a few things, and 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 I love this where it says, and the next day Peter went. I think there's, there's developed this thing into the church whereby, well, someday, and another day, but seldom it's the next day. Now, so God has spoken to me, but I, I'll make a change in the future. And, uh, and, and one day, I remember being a student and having a mate, and uh, his parents were missionaries in Zimbabwe, and uh, one day him and I were sitting, and we were very horribly unsaved, and uh, we were chatting with one another, and he said, one day, I'll give my life to God again. And I remembered being challenged by this one day. And I, I mean, I hadn't given my life to God. And I, and I was in this process of wondering, what does that mean? 
He knows what it is to be, do, to be doing this, yet he's postponing it to being one day. And so much of the church is like that. One day. Oh, another day. Just not today. Peter responds as the messengers come to the door. The next day he leaves. Cornelius receives it at three in the afternoon. Instantly he calls his men, go and find Peter. Sometimes we want every single thing to be confirmed three or four times before we'll even just respond in faith. It says that faith comes by hearing the word. And when God starts to speak to us, whether it's through his written word or through the spoken word or through his spirit, he's calling people to respond. I see a church that attracts the presence and power of God as being a church that doesn't sit and be back, but sit and wait for something to happen, but they're a church that responds when the king speaks. How about us? Do we always have all sorts of plans and all these sorts of things? And I let God first speak and confirm and reconfirm. And, and I'm not saying you run away like a headless chicken and just go into any direction. No, we wait and God will speak and confirm. He will manifest, the Holy Spirit manifests the peace of God, the joy of God, the righteousness of God. And so there's, there's something, you, when God speaks to you, measure it with your leaders. Measure it with your elders. But don't postpone it. There's been very many of us here, I, I don't know about you, but I've been a postponer. And, uh, and I gravitate to what's easy. Yeah? And, and often, uh, things are tough, and I'll just postpone it off. Yeah. Uh, uh, how tough was it for Peter? You know, it's, it's 51 kilometers from Caesarea to Joppa. So who just has somebody knock on the door, some stranger, he looks like he's a reason, you know, he doesn't even know who you are, and says, listen, my boss saw someone in shiny clothes, and he says, you must come. Well, who's the one in shiny clothes? Was it the 80s? Is it disco? What is it? Is it what's the story? Or who's the shiny clothes dude? Peter responds. The Holy Spirit witnesses to him, and Peter goes. There's both, both the next day, and there's this willingness to be inconvenienced. God speaks to me, right, who's going to walk all the way to the strand now for 51 kilometers to go and tell someone there because the man in shiny clothes says, you must come. See, we can't even, yeah, I don't know about you guys here, but the church on the road, and certainly here where we are in Doha, um, I mean, yeah, we, we have a thing now that half an hour after the start of the church, we close the doors. People get offended. I said, listen, imagine Peter just didn't actually respond to these things. Imagine, G- you know, the Bible says, just at the right time, Jesus died for the ungodly. Imagine he died at the wrong time. Jesus at the right time. There's a, there's a timing that needs to come into the church of God again, whereby we respond and we make our, our conveniences and our comforts not the primary thing that we think of. And that's why I said, you know, where, where do we build? Where do we build? Arab time, English time, Indian time, Nigerian time, South African time. Well, where is it? Because we'll have no time if we keep on building to the cultures and the traditions of what we have. But what we've got to do is align ourselves with the Word of God and start responding. So Peter goes and he responds to this thing. A church that attracts the power of God is a church that is prepared to be inconvenienced and a church that obeys and responds as God speaks. Well, why do we, we wonder why so many of the churches around the world, just, there just, just seems to be no power. I'm so glad to see you've got hard chairs here, not little cushions and all sorts of things. Because I think the church is so consumed by its comfort, and we sit on those nice grafting cha- Everest chairs, and then we don't even bother to get up worshipping God, and we wonder why there's no power. Just keep them hard. Keep them hard. 
Because I don't see Peter doing this out of comfort. 51 Ks, I'll quickly walk up the road. Someone's called. No email? No WhatsApp? A man in shiny clothes has called me. A witness of the Spirit of God. Peter, go with these men. Incredible story. And then, and then he arrives at Cornelius' house and it says they were expecting him. Wow. So, so Cornelius met at 12. He sends a guy, well, he met at 3. He sends his guys across 51 kilometers. They've got a church all the way across. They arrive the next day at 12. That's the second day. They arrive at Peter. Peter hears them. God witnesses to him. That next morning they leave. Now it's the next day. Now they're trekking all the way back again. And the next day, they arrive at Cornelius' house. So now imagine the people in the house. So, uh, so Cornelius, who's coming? Now it's some Jew. Man. I don't know who he is. But some Jew's coming. Jew? We're all Gentiles. What are you having Jews in your house for? You know that we're their bosses? We're the ones who are in charge. Now you're calling someone that, that's, that's lower than us? God, I'm a man in shiny clothes. And now when will he get here, Peter? I'm not sure. What will he say when he's here? I'm not sure. When time will we start the meeting? I'm not sure. And then they arrive three days later and they're expecting. And the house is full. Imagine, imagine having been like one of those guys, 120, up in the upper room. Jesus says, while you wait, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Just wait and pray. Imagine you, you waited for nine days and then you got so, you wanted to go buy some pizza. And, and so off you went. And you got back, and the Spirit of God had fallen. Go, what's going on here? What are all these flames on your heads? And you missed the whole thing because you could not wait in the bar. These guys are expecting. I don't know how expecting you guys come to church. I come to church often expecting very little. And if you're a pastor, you, sometimes you can do it with your eyes closed. How Jesus challenged me recently and said, Rob, is this still all about me? Is this still all about me? Is that why you come? What is the expectation in your heart? What is the expectation in your heart when you come today? How are you expecting to meet with God? It would be a sad day if the best thing that we meet today is the parking guy outside. And he's friendly. If that's our big highlight of the day, is the parking man outside. Or Gabe. I mean, everybody wants to meet Gabe. It's true, isn't it? (laughs) But how sad it would be if that's our expectation. These guys are expecting something in their heart. You know what expectation does? Rodney Hart Brown says this, our expectation is God's invitation. God seems to be attracted by hearts that are expecting to meet with him. Have you, have you ever been away, if you're a dad or a mom, and you travel, and uh, you've got kiddies at home, and, uh, and they're expecting, you come home and you see the kiddies, oh, so excited to see some of us don't have kids, you only have a dog. Okay, you have a dog and he's wagging his tail and he's so excited to see the boss, he's going to jump up on the bus, expecting to see you, but yet we come to church and we expect God to come and we're not even expecting to see him. How should I go? They don't even want to meet with me. They just want to sing a few songs and have tea and coffee and go. Have a nice chicken lunch. Chicken is rolled in here. I have some steak lunch. And the point being is, How's our heart? Are we still expecting to meet with Jesus? I had um, my daughter worked at a church in Durban for a month. Friends of ours and friends of this church is, uh, as well. Rich and my Gavin at their church in Durban. 
And I was chatting with her. I said, tell me, Anae, how was it? Tell, tell me about some of the moments. How was the worship? She said, Dad, the worship was great. She said, but the best worship we had, she says, one day we were singing and the power went off. And I like stories like that. Because there's no power. There's no smoke, there's no mirrors, there's no all sorts of things. There's just no power. And she said, and the worship leader was a little bit flattered for a while. He didn't know what to do, flustered. She said, and then he started singing that incredible song that we all know. I'm coming back to the heart of Jesus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. She said, and the church just stood up and it just started worshiping. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. I felt Jesus telling me, Rob, am I still enough for you when you go to church? Do you still expect to meet with me? Has all the other things got so important? Where I sit, my comfort, my coffee, my this, my that. Do you still come to meet with Jesus? Ah, I just love when she told me the story. She said, Dad, that was the moment of worship in the whole month that I was there. Uh, I, I, when I travel to Pakistan and these places, they don't even have chairs when we go there. They sit on the floor, 200 jammed into a little building. Where we sit 200, they can sit 400. That's the way it is. When you think it's full, it's not full if you do it Pakistani style. But they're just so hungry for Jesus. My friend Dave Wallen sent me a picture recently preaching in Zimbabwe in a rural church. They've got no building. Sends me this picture at night, a little light, and they're standing like this, worshipping under a tree where they're preaching the gospel. And there's this whole community there. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. What is your expectation when you come to church? What is your expectation when you're driving in your car and you, you're worshipping a song? What is your expectation when you go into the quiet space to meet with Jesus? Just, just allow God today to come bring some adjustments. Yeah. What are the expectations of the church? Ah, Jesus, you did it 2,000 years ago. It stopped 2,000 years ago. Now the church is established. We can just read the Bible stories. But is there still the expectation that the presence and the power of God would come to fill these believers? To take the church forward. Do you know that there are more unbelievers now on the earth than there's ever been? There are more Christians now on the earth than there's ever been. And we think the power of God stopped 2,000 years ago. We don't need it more. We need the power of God now more than ever in these days. But when we as believers ourselves have no expectation, how can we believe the unbelievers will have expectation? Father, even today, would you come and bring adjustments in our hearts in this area? Whatever it might mean. Do you know that every single step of the way, Cornelius had to exercise faith? Heard a man? Which man? Shining clothes man, where is he? I can't see him again, he's gone. Faith. Where does he need to go? Peter. Where, who's Peter? I don't know, but I'm going to send him because he said. Well, how will you find him? I don't know, but the guys are going to look because they're going to find him. Why? He's going to come back. When's he coming? I don't know, but I believe it. He's going to come. What's he going to tell us? I don't know what he believes, but it's going to be good for us. Faith, 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 faith. Everywhere along the road, he had to respond to what he'd not seen or heard or understood. This is an unbeliever. What about us who are believers? What do we still believe God for? I just feel there's a challenge that needs to come to the church. Coming back to the heart of worship, Jesus. Coming back. It's all about you. Come to meet with you. Come to worship you. 
come to bring you praise. I see, I see another church that attacks the presence and power of God is a church that invites the lost. There's Cornelius, he's an unbeliever and he's become an evangelist instantly. Instantly, he's got all his friends and his family in his house. They're all there. Who's coming? I don't know. Some Jew. What do you mean? No, just come. And he's put, he's a man of authority. He's the boss. He's got a hundred soldiers under him. Now, that's a pretty powerful dude. He's a centurion. You, you, were, you had ten centurions and then you had a guy who controlled the whole legion. But a centurion was a man of power, a man of influence, a man of repute. And what does he do? Instantly brings all the lost. He brings all his friends and families. Come! What are we coming for a bride? No, we're not coming for a bride. But there's this guy coming. He's not cared what they think. He's not care who would laugh at him. He's not care how they would respond to someone who, who's inviting them and we don't even know where we're going. But they trust him and he comes. And Peter says, my reputation means nothing. I will respond to this word and I'll bring the lost. Woof, attracts the presence and power of God. Can I ask this question? Who wants to be in a church where the presence of power of God is? To start inviting the lost. Some of our best meetings we've ever had and moments is when there's been the lost everywhere. Some believers here, some believers there, but the lost are there. I was preaching on a roof in Pakistan on the church's roof. They didn't, we didn't have enough space inside, so we're preaching on top of the roof. And there's all these houses with these flat roofs. And it was a very dangerous time. And so we had seven guys with AK-47s protecting the meeting, standing all around, different roofs, keeping KVs. You know KV? Keeping KV, keeping watch, any of those things. And, uh, and we're keeping KV, and there was this young man, and I preached a message, and there was an altar call. And there were lots of people that were unsaved. Some came from traditional backgrounds and never really understood the gospel of Christ who gave his life. I preached this message, and the moment for me of the day, there's a few moments, but this one particular stands to mind. I said, who wants to receive Jesus? And two houses away, there was a man on the roof with the AK-47 in his house, like in his arm like this, on the roof of the house. And I just saw his arm go up. And a man with a gun, one arm, and the arm raised high. And this unbeliever had heard the gospel. The power of God just came to the meeting. And the lost are invited. It attracts the presence and the power of God. Want Milliton Church to be a church of repute in the city. Want Milliton to be a church that impacts the city. Start inviting the lost. Are you prepared to put your reputation on the line? I know they'll laugh at me. Those are my colleagues, man. Jeez. The church is for something I do on a Sunday, not for six other days. Can't tell people about this. The presence of God attracted by the lost. What good news do we own? Is it good news that we prepare to share with others? What else? Church that attracts the presence and power of God is a humble church. So Peter, he's a disciple. He's one of the twelve. He's seen Jesus resurrected from the dead. He's a witness. He is right there. He's one of the first ones that Jesus appears to. Jesus first appears to Mary, and she goes and tells Peter and John straight away. He's one of the first ones to see Jesus. He's the first ones to experience and see, wow, what has happened. God has raised Jesus from the dead. He doesn't arrive there, big hot shot, with all these 
Romans who, who don't have any revelation of God. He doesn't arrive there as a big crit cup. Too much of the church is people about white suits and white shoes and the big thing and my ministry and my thing. No, he says, don't fall down and worship me. I'm a man like you. Peter is a humble man. He knows what it's like to have messed up. He's messed up three times. The church is filled with people who've actually messed up. Many don't know it, but they have. I have messed up so much. And the only reason Peter is there, the only reason I'm here, is the grace and the mercy and kindness of God. Who are we to ever look down on others? Oh no, they're, they're, they're different than us. They look different. They sound different. Sometimes they smell different. Stand up. I'm a man like you. No favorites in this heaven. No favorites in this place with this God. We're all his favorites. We're all sons and daughters. His favorites. He's our father. Peter comes and he smashes that thing about being a big guru. Boom! He smashes it right out. He says, no. Brothers, stand up. I'm one like you. Sometimes we hear some of the guys from Africa in our church and they'll say, oh, the man of God is here. I say, what man of God is here? We're all children of God. Stop this man of God nonsense. He says, we're not there. We'll honor. We'll honor the elders. We'll honor the leaders. So the Bible tells us to do that. We'll honor others. Sometimes we don't honor while they're here. We only honor when they leave. Let's make it a place of honor whilst they're with us. Not just when they've gone or when they died. I hate going to a funeral. Everyone talks about how great the man is, but yet even as alive, nobody honored him. Place of honor, place of respect, place of humility, place where the lust is picked up. So come, no, we're together. I've seen Jesus, but we're together in this thing. Yeah. I'm a man like you. Church such as that attracts the presence and power of God. Smashes the barriers, smashes culture, smashes food, smashes religious, smashes language. In our church, we have all these different languages and cultures, and so sometimes it's quite difficult. And uh, so we have a thing. So I'm an Afrikaner, so I can tell the Afrikaners that are there, because it sets up barriers. Not because I don't love Afrikaans, I love Afrikaans. But in that context, it's not helpful. Because if I speak Afrikaans, then the Malayali speak Malayali, and the Hindi speak Hindi, and uh, the Filipinos speak Tagalog, and so it just carries on. And there's all these barriers that get set up. And so we're talking to my children, and I said, we're talking, my boy was a little bit younger, and we say, ons kan die Afrikaans praat by die, by die kerk vandag? And I say, selfs as ek vir a sweetie vraag. <laughs> and I said, no, 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 we'll give you a sweetie, no problem. You know, but, but it's so easy, barriers are set up. And so for us, English is simply a tool to reach widely. It's not the favorite language, it's just spoken widely. We have other language services too. But, I, but, I, but in all this, there's this value. No favorites. Actually, we're all just there before God. Jesus, thank you that you receive us. Politicians and plumbers. Laborers and lawyers. All together in the same place. That is a church that attracts the presence and power of God. What else? Just look at Cornelius. Says he's a generous man. Says he's a praying man. This is a man who remembers the poor. You know, this is an unbeliever. An unbeliever who's generous. An unbeliever who prays. I know who Christians who don't pray. 
This is an unbeliever he prays. He's at three in the afternoon he's praying. Who prays? What Christians pray three in the afternoon? Unbelievable. This guy is such a, such a, is such a revelation, such a difference, such a breath of fresh air. That's what he is. He's generous. He's a generous man. He's got gifts to the poor. Yeah. This city is filled with people who don't understand Jesus, but they are generous and they are praying. And us, and where we stay, we, it's obviously a Muslim country. And the guys pray regularly. And some of the guys pray for religious reasons, but some pray because they genuinely fear God. They just don't understand who he is. And they're generous. My boss is a generous man. He's an unbelievably kind and generous man. I pray for him all the time. He is like a Cornelius. He's a Cornelius. And Peter comes to this Cornelius, and the Cornelius and these attitudes of his heart attracts the presence and power of God. And he comes and he brings revelation to him. He starts to tell them about this Jesus, the one who died on the cross. He says, I was a witness of this. I saw it with my own eyes. Tells him, and as, as the name of Jesus is lifted high to those who are seeking the presence of power, of God comes. Church that sees the presence of power of God is those who lift the name of Jesus high. The Spirit of God starts to fall upon them. Generosity. I preached a message on generosity about a year ago, and um, he loved the generosity preach. And uh, the guys respond at the end of the message. People's hearts moved, and some people came sunglasses on the head, put it on the stage. Some, one of the ladies had these posh shoes. She took her posh shoes off. So what am I going to do with the lady's shoes? I mean, you know, there's the lady's shoes and all these rings, people putting rings and watches. Incredible. I said, what do we do now? I mean, how do you, how do you administer that? And we said, Dude, this is a real headache to administer. But about two weeks later, a man came up to me and he walks up to me in the church and he said, uh, and weeping, I said, what's the story? said, uh, for two weeks now, I've been holding on to something that I should have brought the day that you preached the ge- preach on generosity. And he said, I have something for you. And he takes out this envelope, and it's about this size. And he says, I have something, but it's not for you. I said, no problem. He said, what is it for? You know, who is it? He said, this is for Dave Wallen. And Dave Wallen was the man who planted our ch- the church that we now lead. And, uh, and, I, and I see, what, uh, what is it? And he gives it to me, and suddenly it's this weighty thing. He says, it's a bar of gold. And uh, in this envelope is this bar of gold. I'm thinking, geez, I've never held a bar of gold. This is really cool. He says, remember, it's not for you. It's for Dave. And I said, no problem. I understand it's not for me. And uh, I go to the lady who, who you know, administers all these things. And we have the safe and we put the stuff in there. And I phone Dave. I said, geez, such great news. He says, what? I said, I've got a bar of gold for you, John. You must come. We're going to give you this bar of gold. And about two weeks later, he rocks up and he's there. And just before we take him to, to the airport, I say, oh, we mustn't forget the bar of gold. And we go into the office. And I say, the lady who works there is a, a wonderful lady called Hildegard. And uh, there's, a, there's a, some Hildegards that we know, cousin of Francia. But Hildegard, and she's a Colombian lady. Beautiful woman. And sadly, her husband got involved with another woman. And uh, their marriage broke up. And so she's in the midst of a divorce. So this is all the background of Hildegard, what's happening. But we go in and I say, Hildegard, where's that bar of gold? And she takes it out and Dave is in. And she gives it to Dave and he's standing with the bar of gold. It's beautiful. We all admire it. Like, wow, this is amazing. It's engraved and all this sort of stuff on it. And he has it for about a minute. And he takes it like this and he says, Hildegard, this is for you. And he gives this bar of gold to this lady. 
us to weep. And we're standing there witnessing this and we're all weeping. What's going on? I've never seen something like this. I mean, who gives bars of gold away? So I take Dave to the airport. He flies off. I come back about an hour and a half later and Hildegard is there. And I said, Hildegard, wasn't that amazing? And she's still weeping. She says, Rob, you don't understand. I said, what I don't understand? She says, yesterday I went down to the souk, which is the market in the town. I went to the jewelry souk. And I took my wedding ring. I took my engagement ring. And I took my earrings from my wedding. All gifts. And I said to the jeweler, would you melt all this gold down? I'm doing a fresh start. I'm starting with things new. And he looked at me and said, Madam, what is the design? And she gave him the design and says, you do not have enough gold. And she said to him, God will provide. And the next day, God gave her a bar of gold. And she could take the bar of gold to this jeweler and he was stunned. And we wept. And I said, Hilda God, this is a sign to you how God and the power of God is attracted. Amazing, by generosity. I said, this will be a sign to you of God's provision. Even unto your grandchildren, they will hear the story of how the King of Heaven hears and whisper, he hears the whispers and the cries of our heart and the power comes down and he releases his provision at the right time. Our friends, Cornelius was a man who understood this. It attracts the presence of God like you cannot believe. How's your generosity? How's your praying? How's your remembering of the poor? Church that attracts the presence of power of God. Yeah. I'll finish with the last one. A church that attracts the presence and power of God is a church that raises the name of Jesus high. If you raise up the name of Jesus, the name above all names, he says he's the one who died on the cross. These guys don't even know, and Peter is telling them about this Jesus and who he was and that he died and that he was a witness. And, and where I am, we have many people who will tell you Jesus' body, Jesus never died on the cross. He was stolen off the cross. And we'll have people who tell you, no, someone else died in his place. But I, I love the fact that there was actually first-hand witnesses of this. The first-hand witnesses who were there, who were th- cowards, they ran away from the cross, they saw it all happen and fled. Yet three days later, when they have one glimpse of the resurrected king, they are filled with such courage that they are now prepared to face those who were going to kill them and say, we will die for you. What happened from the time they fled from the cross to the time they were prepared to die for the cross was they saw the resurrected Jesus. They were witnesses. Let me tell you, you need more faith to believe in cosmic soup that exploded with a big bang and one day it happened and gases came together. It needs much more faith to believe that theory than it believes to believe the witnesses who saw him rise. And the world is filled with theories. We'll talk about it. I tell you, this is not a theory. It were witnesses who saw him. In fact, Corinthians tell you at some point he appeared to 500 if you go to the law courts, one is a witness. Two starts to establish it. Everything is established by two or three. But there were 500. Yeah. This is no theory. And when the name of Jesus is declared, and these men declared it witnesses, Peter was so affected by the resurrected Jesus that Peter at the end of his life said, I cannot even be crucified like him. And he was crucified upside down as a martyr. All those men who fled, except John, who was at the foot of the cross, most of them were crucified. The men, the very ones who denied him, were prepared to give their lives and die upside down even for him. They were witnesses of him. 
Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, the Son of God Most High, died on a cross, given for your and our salvation. Not just a thought, not just an idea, not just a theory, but the truth of what happened. I stood there in Jesus' tomb last year in Jerusalem. The reality, you stand there and you see the empty tomb. Thank you, Jesus. Beautiful garden. Garden of Gethsemane where it's always. Just beautiful. I want to say to you, have you seen the resurrected Jesus? We're hearing about and seeing the resurrected Jesus attracts the presence and power of God. Right now, Jupiter's eyes are closed. If there's anybody here, that does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that does not know this King who came to leave his throne and die for you and I, today I want to ask you to consider this Savior for your life. Just not consider him as a thought. Just not consider him as a good idea. But consider him to be a Savior. Died. Conquered death rose again on the third day, ascended to heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, from where he's received the promised Holy Spirit of which he's poured out upon the church. If you do not know him today, you surrender your life to him. Because there's no other name unto which we must call by which we will be saved. He says, all who call on the name of the Lord, Peter tells him here, will be saved. Today, would you call on the name of the Lord if you do not know him? Perhaps he's gone cold. Perhaps there's a sense of no presence and power of God in my life. Would you call upon him today? Perhaps you've been a believer for many years. Would you today call upon this king, the Jesus, resurrected Jesus? I call upon you today to save me. And would you then open and allow your heart to respond so that he can come in, breaking into your situation, become your Lord and Savior.